Yes, hello, and welcome to another episode of Bio2040, where we interview thought leaders in the field of biomedical research and how to improve scientific research. And today I'm incredibly excited to have Alexandra with me. Alexandra is the founder uh, of a conference called Seed 2019, uh, which is attempting to figure out how blockchain can be used to improve the state uh, of research and scientific publishing. So, Alexandra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> very cool. Uh, so, why don't we just start quickly by uh, having you introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'm a computational scientist and astrophysicist. I've studied at the University of Zurich, and uh, after that, I joined a company, Validity Labs, who is behind the seed. So technically, I'm not the founder, but the project lead of the project. And uh, there I am, a head of research and analytics. Okay. Uh, and so just briefly, um, what? Uh, tell us a bit about how you guys came up with this idea of um, the SEED conference. And what is, what is the goal behind SEED conference? So the company, actually, from the beginning was having this educational flavor. So in 2015-2016 were the very first um, events where Validity Labs, when I was actually there, not as an employee, but uh, just as a, as a participant at the time. So they were teaching people about uh, what blockchain is, what kind of applications uh, make sense for it. And um, from this, gradually the company has evolved into the service company. So it's now we specialize in decentralized applications and development of them and helping out uh, during workshops other clients to um, come up with use cases that make sense for their business. Okay. And cool. uh, because the, the founder of Validity Labs is an ex-academic and a couple of people in our company, including me, we, we are all um, kind of coming from this similar environment, you know, as you as you go on, like you, you realize that there are a lot of places and a lot of issues in this whole academic system and academic environment, and many people are leaving, not because they don't like research, they don't want to continue doing research, but because of the full ecosystem. So in a way, um, this, this conference is uh, an attempt to gather people together, and at least from my personal motivation and point of view, uh, trying to uh, come up with ways to improve uh, the current state. Okay, cool. Sorry. Okay, very interesting. Um, like, let's get a little bit more specific here. And then, mm -hmm. why don't you tell us? You know, you've been a researcher. Um, why don't you tell us what uh, problems specifically uh, in research and publishing are sort of the you think are the biggest problems or the problems that you, you most think we need to solve? As quickly as mm -hmm. possible. So to me, a lot of minor problems, smaller ones, coming are coming from one particular big issue, and that is that in research, we basically, especially in basic research, we have too little funding. Mm. So if you look at the breakdown by uh, what kind of funding goes to research and which resources it comes from, be it federal, so governmental, or um, or business where it comes from as a function of time. So it has been in the past 30, 40 years dramatically decreasing, uh, at least the one that comes from government. And basic research that we do, 50% uh, of all basic research comes from academia, and academia is almost solely funded from the governmental funding. So what this triggers is that people begin to compete with each other, 
for funding and um, you need to well, find different kinds of metrics that are going to show that you are the researcher who is the most productive and you know, the, the most, in this case, cited. And that drives practices that are oftentimes gaming the system and not really you know, in the interest of science itself. So it's, it's more about signaling a certain uh, reputation versus doing actual productive work yeah, so yeah. actually, if you, the other thing is, because citations are, people often call citations a currency in research, so the more you get cited, the higher your profile in a way is, and then you are guaranteed that you will get a good job later on, or any, as a matter of fact, a permanent job in, in academia. And the funny thing is that in the economics of science, people are doing research on it, what kind of uh, research projects people tend to undertake and which, what pays off in what time frame in terms of citations. So if you um, do a very safe project that's not really groundbreaking, mm -hmm. then you tend to be much more cited in the cycle of two, three years. And these two, three years are crucial. It's a two, three years is a framework where you will be applying for a mm -hmm. next job on the mm -hmm. postdoc. If you do something that's more risky but potentially groundbreaking, the payoff comes only after these three years, mm. which means that there are a lot of teeny tiny kind of pieces of the puzzle that drive some sort of practices in researchers that are selfish. It's the self-interestedness. You, you don't really put as the first you know, the advancing of knowledge, but whether you have your basic needs mm. fulfilled, and that is having something to eat and having a job. Right, right. Okay, so this is new for me, that, that sort of the uh, sometimes the more groundbreaking research I think I just recently heard about Einstein's work. It took it took like 20 years or more until he was awarded the Nobel Prize for some of the research he had done in 1905 because people just couldn't understand, I guess, first of all, what he did and then and also the significance of mm -hmm. what he discovered, right? So what you're alluding to is that, that you know, since I need to eat and, and, and uh, you know, feed my, my children, maybe I'm going to do safe stuff that gives me citations in the next three, three years. And then um, that could be really detrimental, or it just basically pushes people to do um, not that interesting, maybe, like research, mm -hmm. more safe kind of research. Okay. And I think it goes beyond that. It's not only that you, it happens at the cost of the quality of research that we do, mm. uh, but it drives people mad. So uh, there mm. was some recent study that was showing that about 33% of all PhD students are at the risk of the common psychiatric disorder mm -hmm. just because of the pressure and being pushed to really publish in you know super high profile journals before they are ready. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so is is this is this the the, the currency slash reputation? Would you say this is the the main problem overall that we're currently facing? The the I think if we were able to put more funding into research, that would relax the system a little bit, and those kind of practices would not be uh, as common. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the reputation, and because you know that the market is shrinking, mm. and there are only very few jobs as professors that you can get. Mm -hmm. We're producing too many PhD students, then too many postdocs, and also from the economics point of view, it actually pays off to have a postdoc, mm -hmm. because uh, if you look at the numbers, they're kind of cheaper mm -hmm. for a university to mm -hmm. have them. Um, and then these people have some kind of very specific specialty experience and uh, there are just no jobs for them later on. So it's a, it's a profound problem that uh, universities, I think, are facing. Yeah, because if you think about, I mean, research is this very, um, well, it's a discipline that 
um, you know, doesn't yield immediate um, benefit to a, a paying customer, right? If we look at most other areas of, of, of service or of, of business, you know, you typically produce a good that a customer pays for and, and your job is sort of justified by whether somebody wants ultimately what you're, what you're building, right? And in science, it's sort of more the thirst for knowledge that's driving us, but it's sort of like society has to agree on how important that is. And, um, um, I guess there's more, what you're saying, essentially there's more people that are thirsty for knowledge or to discover more things than maybe so far society has agreed to overall pay, right? Would, would you say that but at the same time, I do think we are making significant progress in lots and lots of areas. And it's a little bit just that the, the, the very best, uh, can survive, but best in that case, what you're saying is could not only could be actually in many cases not the, necessarily the best researchers, but maybe people that are best at quote unquote gaming the system, you know, getting getting their papers submitted to the to the right um, paper uh, journals and getting those, then making sure they're getting cited and so on. So we might actually be skewing, you know, we might be pushing people that are really doing groundbreaking stuff out of academia. Mm-hmm. And keeping those in that are sort of like very good at the current system, right? right? I think that was one of the side effects of it. One thing you mentioned about this this difference uh, or kind of detachment between the society and the research, I think this is a really big problem. Mm-hmm. And in, in part, maybe uh, there is no training at the universities that people get in science communications. Mm-hmm. So I took a, I took a workshop at ETH Zurich at some point um, that was exactly designed to that, but this was you know not obligatory. It was a very special, yeah. a very unique group that organized it just for their, their research group within the astronomy department back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really a common practice. And you see that if you go to a conference and even talk to people within your field, that oftentimes it's speaking in parallel. Mm. People are not really taught to communicate their mm. results in a way that is accessible for everyone. Right. Because you're just sitting in your little silos for so long, just doing your your teeny tiny thing that you're super good at. Right. And then you go out and you have to explain what you have done. You're unable. Yeah. And that that's, yeah, just makes uh, this whole issue of, society not really understanding okay our money perhaps goes in there but do we what do we get back from it yeah we don't really understand what kind of uh groundbreaking yeah. thing a particle physicist is doing just being right we hear higgs boson you know the, right that's uh, actually a product of thousands of people working right. together so from all the thousands of people you hear maybe one little thing that you can relate to but it's not really these tiny tiny nitty-gritty details of daily life of a researcher right perhaps right. bringing humanity a little bit closer to what we do as researchers would uh, mm-hmm. would help yeah I, I i agree that definitely if you can communicate your work well that'll probably be uh at least a big important step in, in you know building trust but because it's a lot about trust actually mm-hmm. like are we giving money for things that are that we as society find valuable whether that's new medicines or better understanding of the universe and so forth, right? It's also having time to give back. So if mm. you as a researcher know that the competition is extremely fierce, if you hear from your mentors that you need to be extremely nimble and have, you know, really great results, so many papers and citations mm. and network, etc. Mm-hmm. And then you face a choice of communicating to general public mm-hmm. for a few hours mm. or working on your particular project. Right. The choice is obvious. Mm-hmm. So I think if you if there was less competition, people would have a lot more time also to reach out to an average 
mm-hmm. human being and communicate what's exciting about what we are researching. Right. But I still think like the incentives, you know, it, it, there would need to still be some kind of more incentive to speaking to the public because even I, I just guessed that if I just had more time on average, I would still go and work on my project. Like if, 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 if my salary sort of depends on and my academic survival depends on like mm-hmm. one metric, anything that's like not related totally understandably is not something going to be something that I spent a whole bunch of time on. Only if, I guess like on the very highest levels, um, you know, if I look at somebody who's the dean of a ETH or another university, this person likely spends quite a bit of time explaining what the university is doing, you know, to politicians who are essentially in Switzerland, at least funding most of uh, the research, right? So the lower, lower level, the, the people are really doing the, the science per se, their money is not as talking to the public doesn't tie, as you're saying, quickly back mm-hmm. to their ability to do uh, research, right? So there's a bit of a disconnect here, I guess. Yeah, we're talking a lot about incentives, especially yeah, when, when we go to the new technology yeah, yeah, later sure. on. But yeah. um, there is also something to to the environment and to the up, sort of upbringing or um, habits in a given group. Mm. Right? We, we do a lot of things... Um, or we not do a lot of bad things as human beings because we were brought up in some environment that was penalizing, right? Some kind of uh, bad, bad deeds, mm. rewarding good deeds. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, this. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's there's another thing that is not an incentive that actually drives our behavior. And if you think about peer review, peer mm. review right now works in a way that researchers are. Um, just willingly, for free, for no remuneration, and even for no recognition whatsoever. They, they, in their free time, they take somebody else's paper, they grade it, review mm. it, and send it back. Mm-hmm. And it works because, at least some people say, it works because a lot of researchers feel that they need to contribute back to the ecosystem. Mm. Mm. And uh, if, if you have a feeling that you do something because you contribute, we're in Switzerland. Like, mm-hmm. A lot of things here work a lot better than mm-hmm. many other countries. Mm-hmm. It's very similar, right? You mm-hmm. will not do certain things. You will not trash in the street. I don't mm-hmm. know. You will not throw away your trash in the mm-hmm. wrong bag mm-hmm. because these are sort of habits that you've developed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you didn't, didn't need an incentive that says if you bring that bag to the right place, mm-hmm. now with your trash, you'll get paid five bucks. Mm-hmm. You didn't need that. So it's... I think it's two approaches. One is really incentivizing behavior when it's a bit too late, and one is trying to fix the background of how how the system works and in in a way tell people this is right, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. So sort of a moral obligation of some yeah, sorts that's code, leading yeah. me, yeah, mm-hmm. moral code. So it seems to be working in peer review. So the question is why why wouldn't it not include hey once a week you spend an hour writing a public you know more public blog post? I actually had. Uh, a woman on my uh, podcast who's, you know, who, she's a scientist in the biomedical field and she mm-hmm. uh, publishes a blog um, that is actually aimed sort of a little bit more at lay people, right? She's researching, I think, uh, Huntington's disease. Mm-hmm. And um, um, she, I think Rachel Harding was her name. And she um, does uh, communicate and she said it's actually brought her a lot of benefits, right? It's connected to her with patient groups that are in that field. It's connected her with potential mentors for her, uh, uh, collaborations, new people that have come up and 
looked at her data and, and given her insights, right? And so she's actually made a lot of benefits from being a little bit more public. So maybe it can actually be um, something where, you know, it's not necessarily only something that I do out of a moral code, but if I'm actually taught and, and I can see from other researchers that there's a lot of benefit, even directly from my own work, to be a bit more public about what I do. Potentially this could also be um, beneficial, right? Uh, but, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about blockchain because, you know, that's uh, where you're working at now and, you know, you're setting up this conference, um, C2019. So tell me quickly, what is the vision uh, behind a conference? And then I also want to know about, well, how does blockchain, where do we need blockchain? Sure. So the, the idea for the conference is to reach out to a number of um, groups that are representative of the um, ecosystem, scientific ecosystem. And that means not only researchers, but also librarians, um, technologists, um, yeah, executives, because a lot of funding that comes to research nowadays is actually, or most of it is coming from businesses, actually. So it's private funding. They're also important to be put in, uh, into this whole ecosystem. And in a way, we um, try to build some kind of a decentralized uh, ecosystem where you have all these people on site and they learn about the issues in science. And mm -hmm. that is not only funding that we discussed, but that also means lack of kind of open science, right? So uh, researchers don't really share results. There's a lot of secrecy going on, mm. um, driven by what we discussed before. Uh, and uh, so they come together during that symposium, they learn about the issues. They oftentimes, they also don't really know what blockchain is beyond uh, what we hear or read, mm -hmm. uh, beyond the whole crypto hype. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I think that it, it is important to have people really educated. And it's not only about blockchain, it's about any new technology that has some transformational potential, at least, right. to really know from the beginning what the what is the mechanism uh, what's the governance like? You know, what the development looks like? Uh, what's the uh, crypto economics even within that kind of system? And then with that knowledge of um, applications, possibilities, and limitations, you can make an educated uh, evaluation whether such a technology is really applicable in this particular scientific ecosystem or not. So we will sacrifice the two days of the symposium in Davos in Switzerland to. Uh, to this, this learning opportunity and then the next two days we will divide people into um, into different groups and these groups will be together trying to find the solution to the problems we will touch upon uh, that have uh, something to do with that technology. So blockchain-backed ideas. The goal is for them you know, to at a certain point decide maybe this idea sounds great but it's not really feasible. Mm. Maybe this idea will totally not work because mm. from my perspective of a, as a librarian that doesn't make sense. So with that kind of um, multiple angle exchange and multiple angle expertise we will be able to much faster find reasonable use cases. I think it's really important because many times you know, somebody who starts... Uh, adventure will have an idea and from your point of view it sounds great you do your market research it seems like a good uh, good idea but then the question is is it sustainable if mm. it doesn't get adopted mm. and that you cannot have unless people are properly educated yeah so so i think what's really interesting about it is is, is you're essentially talking about biases that i might have coming out of my mm -hmm. my little cocoon and and you're 
what I'm hearing is that you want to bring people together from different um, parts of the puzzle, right? Not only like different scientists, but maybe some publishers, maybe publishers. some funders. Exactly. Uh, and, and then together we can mm-hmm. sort of really think about um, long-term sustainable solutions. Mm-hmm. So, right. so I think that's, that's really, um, it's really, really cool. Um, yeah. And, um, and we, yeah. also, sorry, we also want everybody in the end to have an opportunity to present their solution on stage mm. and everybody will be able to also pick democratically with a system will provide um, yeah, the, those solutions that should be implemented. Right. And I think the cool thing that we want to do is as a company, we have already expertise in the development, web development, decentralized app development. So we will drive the development phase of it. And over three months past the SEED Symposium and Think Tank, um, together in collaboration with the teams that had these best ideas, we will be making this idea a reality. And so are, are these ideas going to be, um, you know, who's funding that? Are these going to be for-profit companies? Are these going to be non-profit? Like, can it be anything? What sort of, what do you think are going to be the outputs? Or, or, or what do you hope for could be like the best case outcome? Um, we are looking for partners. And for these three months, we, uh, we will be partnering with either an academic or a non-academic institution that is engraved and rooted somehow in this ecosystem. Mm. So the hope is that through this kind of an exercise, we will be able to provide some kind of a proof of concept that perhaps in the future is going to be so promising that it will be implemented mm. and really working. Got it. So it's a little bit like throw a lot of smart people from the ecosystem that are right. really thinking about these problems, throw them together almost like in a, in a stew and then, sort of look at like which which molecules sort of like uh, bind with each other <laughs> to, to form new stable forms of right. Uh, right. Of, of life so so that's that's cool it's exciting um yeah I, I don't know I mean we could it's we could delve into uh we've talked about some of the problems uh before um you what do you have in mind around like uh, can you talk a little bit more specific do you have certain tracks in the conference like have you invited certain funders or, or sort of how do you, how are you segmented uh, the conference a little mm-hmm. bit? So the conference is divided into the problem-driven track and the solution-driven track. So for the problem-driven track, we are inviting uh, speakers who will discuss economics of science. So how, you know, from the money and funding perspective, the whole machinery operates and works and where are its uh, bottlenecks. Um, there will be people talking about open open data, open science, mm-hmm. um, open access as well. So where are we? Where do we stand? Um, how did it go? You know, what kind of plans are in, in place? Like mm-hmm. in Europe, this Plan S right now that is uh, changing dr- drastically the, the publishing scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we have also the um, a couple of more interesting talks discussing actually the contribution and the collaborative character of research because we oftentimes tend to or like to think about researchers as these people like mm. that the person behind mm. x but we do mm. forget that the person behind x is standing on the shoulders of giants mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there are actually very interesting projects out there that are relying on the collective expertise of people at crowdsourcing, mm-hmm. um, computational power that's you know, drawn from multiple uh, pieces of the peer-to-peer network as well. That's, uh, I think it would be interesting to, for, for people to find out about uh, if they don't know that yet. 
And then we will have a second track that is a problem-driven track mm. and um, a, a solution-driven track, sorry. And then mm. the solution-driven track, we will, from the beginning, do a proper uh, blockchain training mm -hmm. with different aspects. So people will get a chance to hear from scratch um, what it is, how is it built, also a little bit about um, about the crypto, um, um, yeah, not only economics, but also cryptography. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in a very accessible way, mm -hmm. <laughs> put it that way. And uh, then we will we'll have a few professors who will talk about also game theory mm. and different, different aspects about incentives, about mm. governance, about mechanisms of security as well, so people are aware you know, what's, what could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And we'll have a few applications and examples of applications from both collaborative research space and outside. But so these are existing examples are, already that, are, that, are, yes. that people are yeah, using? Because yeah. you recently, you told me that you recently attended uh, this Blockchain for Science conference. conference. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us, can you tell us and uh, listeners mm -hmm. a little bit what were, what were some of your takeaways and learnings from, from that? From that? So my impression after listening to lots of talks was that uh, there is there are many many systems in development. This is not specifically for blockchain in mm. the, in this case, but blockchain enables one particular thing. But uh, before I say that, um, many of the projects are actually moving on from uh, publishing after you know you do your experiment and takes you a while, you do analysis, interpretation, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, and then you send a send a paper to the publisher. Then mm -hmm. it takes a year or so before you actually get your outcome really there and rip what you have solved right. in the way. Right. So a lot of projects are actually moving towards a different system where you as a person can um, write you know, a piece of code on GitHub, right? mm -hmm. put it there, or publish your little image that is just a piece of your pipeline. Here is what I did. This is only a part of this journey. Mm -hmm. So then you can actually put these outcomes out there and still get recognized for them mm -hmm. before you reach the point where you send your manuscript to the publisher. And I and where blockchain here in this case comes in is that it sort of provides this verification system where when you publish, um, let's say, your idea, you record your idea, mm -hmm. I am going to study X. Mm. Then you timestamped it, and then on top of that, you hash it so mm. that you later on have, have a proof that you were the person that has recorded that idea. And then okay. you change sort of the the outcomes that you have published one uh, one by uh, one after another, and before you mm. get to the paper and the manuscript. So I get the value of pre-registering. I means mm -hmm. it's sort of make defends you against things like p-hacking, um, mm -hmm. which I, which I think is great. And then, so then you 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 chain you said you chain them, so you just create a link between. Yeah. So uh, you you can just let's imagine you do your experiment. So you did your experiment. You collected the data after you recorded that you want to do an experiment mm -hmm. in the first place. You recorded it. Then you did your data. You put your data into the system. Mm -hmm. Yes, I collected it. This is it. And now I'm going to analyze it. Then mm -hmm. you analyze it. Mm -hmm. Maybe you find something already interesting that you would like to spread mm -hmm. the word about, and then so you so you do so. Mm -hmm. But you are not worried that you will not get credit for it because you released it too early, and there's no no recognition that you get for your input because it's out there, it's in the system, so you can claim the authorship and claim that you were the one that came up with it. But in a way, what's what's amazing about it, I think, is that it solves two problems. Problem number one is the this recognition issue that we discussed. You know, you have to wait for the paper to come out and you yeah. collect citations. Right. 
if the system is going to get adopted, you can collect citations already from day one when you start mm. a project on whatever piece of it you do. But what's preventing someone from taking the data you published and doing analysis on it and then not citing you? Can they? Or is that not really easy to be doable? That, that's one thing I've heard mm-hmm. is the, a big fear with open science is that, yeah, I'll share all my data, but then sometimes, and actually Rachel that I've had on that I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, she's benefited greatly from, from mm-hmm. publishing her blog and also some of their data, but there has been a case where someone actually took her data mm-hmm. and didn't really properly reference her and sort of like did analysis, right? So I don't know if that's a big, this gets addressed here or not. Because the the blockchain is sort of a layer that I that I've that I created this data, but depending on how it gets used or analyzed, it may or may not be properly cited. It's it gives you at least an argument to say that mm. at this time I have been the first one to publish it. Right. Just like you do, I don't know, when you drive a rental car and mm-hmm. right, you can take a picture before and after yeah. and sort of timestamp it and right. say, but before see these this yeah was was gone this kind of a mm-hmm. rubber and this the afterwards uh, you can prove either yeah, yeah, yeah. who did this mm-hmm. in the same way you could argue with uh, research pipeline but mm-hmm. the thing is that here we will maybe go a little bit more philosophical mm-hmm. should you really protect your data mm-hmm. or should you just uh, maybe then wait until you have another results mm-hmm. and publish it with a result but right. give your data to people because they can build up on your work then less funding is going to go into yes. redundant yes. repetition of the same experiment Absolutely. or somebody can just collect different data sets provided they find a good baseline for them they can derive some statistical power on whatever trend they're researching. So, so it's really, beneficial. Right. So it, it really reminds me of um, you know, this whole reputation thing we have. Because, you know, one thing that's cool in, in software, I think it's been changing um, how GitHub has sort of become almost the default um, reputation system online. Right? If you're mm-hmm. hiring a software engineer, one of the first things you'll do is you'll, you'll check out someone's GitHub profile and you'll see how much they've contributed and how many people have like looked at their projects and forked and started and so forth. So in science, it seems like we have this much more opaque and slow moving way of doing this, which is, you know, publishing papers and, and GitHub. It's anybody can publish at any time. My code is good. I could be in Pakistan. No, no one, no one knows me. But my code is sort of that good that I get I get massive amounts of reputation. Um, so it, it, you know, like right now, it seems like the only reward is if you get like a, a complete paper that has been peer reviewed and then published in uh, some academic journal, ideally of, of high impact. What you're talking about is is sort of. Um, breaking it down into much smaller pieces of work. And then those should already be, um, A, they can be useful for others, but B, what you're trying to say or what we're hoping here is that these pieces of work would already um, start gathering reputation for me as well. Right. How do you how do you think that that's going to work? You know, is there sort of a, a GitHub-like system or how are we going to measure uh, or sort of just create that reward function for these smaller pieces of work? So there are already a few systems in place where people experiment with this. So it would be either, and I don't know if I should mention the names, mm-hmm. <laughs> that it, at least without mentioning them, I can just say the over model. So that we have some systems where 
uh, you record your entire research pipeline mm -hmm. in the beginning. So mm -hmm. you, it's, it's a system for recording, it's a system for even fundraising, mm -hmm. it's a system for, that's another thing that we could talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's also for publishing. Mm -hmm. So you basically migrate what you have been doing so far on 50,000 different pieces, I don't know, Share LaTeX, Big Share, something else, mm -hmm. you know, GitHub as well, you put that kind of like, mm -hmm. into one record and keep it in one particular platform. Mm -hmm. um, question is, how is this going to be adopted in the future? Mm -hmm. How likely it is, but at least this is an overall idea. Or you can have sort of a plugin that is connecting to all the systems that you already have. Yeah. And then keeping in within the platform just this uh, re reputation slash profile system where mm -hmm. you, you can see you know, what you have done as a researcher, how many citations you got on these all different tiny pieces of um, input from your site that you provided. Okay. There was one thing that I, I before I wanted to mention that, that is related to it. It's not that you all, you get recognition and that's one output out of this incremental system where you publish little yeah. pieces of your of your research. It's also actually tackling another problem and that is that you can get recognized not only for manuscripts but for blog posts, for some videos, mm. for mm. I don't know whatever you you do, even for code. Now you can't right. guess. if you are a technical person that writes code for some unless it's really kind of super novel computational science mm -hmm, paper. But mm -hmm. if you provide some little pipeline um, for a bigger research project, you will not be the first author, likely. Mm. And then many people will tell you, if you're not the first author, it doesn't really count yeah. so as much. Yeah, and yeah. with this system, even though like, your work might be really important, crucial for the whole paper to, or the whole research project to lead anywhere, you just don't get that kind of, you don't get recognized for it. So... Um, in this system where you allow for code also to be counted and cited, maybe, you know, it's just there. Um, yeah, so, 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 but, you know, the first author problem is something I've, I've briefly touched upon in some of the other mm -hmm. uh, interviews as well, where, where sometimes apparently a, a, the professor will mandate that you get at least four first author publications within your postdoc or something, uh, and, and sort of you will not collaborate mm -hmm. with someone, even though it'd be perfectly great for you to do so, just because you uh, it doesn't it doesn't fulfill your mm -hmm. your your sort of your work task. Right. The first yeah. So I, th I think if we can, um, it, the challenge I guess here would be how do we convince the, the professor because he he'll have some influence on this as mm -hmm. well or, she, or her um, yeah, yeah um, that that we could that we could. Um, uh, shift that thinking, right? I think that's the challenging part. So for me, it's it's like, do we go and um, you know work with the existing systems and sort of like build that um, almost like un, uh, an, an, uh, sort of uh, you know Trojan horse, where mm -hmm. you know we still we still work within the existing publishing uh, frameworks uh, and reputation systems, but slowly, 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 we're building something. I think one interesting initiative, for example, is uh, Protocols.io, uh, which I've had uh, Lenny on the show as well, where it's just about publishing your protocols that let you to an experiment, typically in the, not only, but a lot of it is in the biomedical field. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, right now it's still small, it's growing, it's growing quickly now, but it's it's sort of like, that's one way where, where you know, right now it doesn't really hurt anyone's 
um, chances, sort of in the traditional way, but I'm building a new um, reputation system. That's like one way to go. The other one, as you mentioned earlier, is like, no, no, we're like switching this completely, you know, new ways of pre-registering, of raising money, of getting mm -hmm. reputation citations. Uh, it seems much more radical, and I'm sort of, um, it sounds exciting, um, but maybe it's also challenging, or at least it's, I think there's merits to both approaches, but it's, I guess it's about figuring out which approach could work better in which sort of scenarios. Yeah, I think they could exist in parallel. So I don't think we will, the, the, the radical approach of let's completely get rid of you know, the, the bad publishers mm. and just pick up a new system that now puts in one platform everything. Mm. Right? I, I, I don't think that this is wise also because what publishers give is um, some kind of um, credibility to your to the research that you do and mm. that's true that if we send um, some papers to a system that doesn't have a very well structured pre-review or doesn't have these curators in the system like like this ready to immediately see no that paper doesn't make sense, this is completely not true, right, then you, in a way, poison the system with perhaps research outcomes that are not not true. So mm -hmm. that there is there is a value to publishers, and that's, that's perfectly right, and they, on top of that, give you this reputation, because if you, people often say that if you publish in nature or in science, you're either incredibly right or incredibly wrong. <laughs> so... It, at the best case, you really do publish top-notch results in those pub, uh, those journals. The problem mm -hmm. is, I think that they abuse their position and their power just because they have a, some sort of a monopole on it. Mm -hmm. and, um, and just all the researchers, all the scientists are uh, caught in the, in the dilemma because uh, from what I've heard on multiple occasions, uh, there were a lots of initiatives where people were trying to migrate to a new system or even the whole research group would say, as you mentioned, the, the professor, right, that would, for example, make a decision, we move in a mm. different direction. Mm. Or we build, co-build some different system, but then last minute you make your evaluation how your career is going to suffer in it and you take a step back. Mm. So I think there, I've also heard about strikes. So uh, one, one um, a person who has uh, been in this publishing industry for a while mm -hmm. has told me that actually if you want to... Um, get rid of the publisher, just don't send any sort of manuscript to a publisher mm -hmm. for a week. Mm -hmm. If you do it, then, you know, they're over if you do it for you know, just for a week. No, but that will require highly coordinated, highly collaborative spirit of people, you know, to close one system in this way and maybe invest then into the other one, completely different disruptive one. Mm -hmm. But being realistic, this when when such a strike was organized 10 years ago, there were maybe a thousand people that participated in it. Mm -hmm. so if you don't have the critical mass, it's pointless. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. having said that, uh, I think these systems have to exist in parallel mm -hmm. and they have to gradually transform or have a sub-function, like what we mm -hmm. discussed before, where somebody from the government says, no, from now on, you don't do this. Right. Because it's just not right. You're Would, using your position and squeezing yeah. money from... 
a place where the money is extremely scarce. So, right, yeah. right. Which we've seen now in Horizon 2020 mandating that you publish mm-hmm. in, in open access journals and then it can really yeah. make a switch, right? They have so much power uh, that they can sort of command uh, people's change. Yeah. So, uh, incredibly interesting and challenging problems. Uh, mm-hmm. We're nearing the end of our um, show today. So, uh, last question is, is uh, sort of around, is there uh, a, a person, a book, uh, uh, maybe another podcast or blogger or, or an idea mm-hmm. that has recently um, really captured your attention that you, you, you yourself want mm-hmm. to learn more about that you think for our listeners would be really interesting to learn more about? Can, can, mm-hmm. can really be quite, quite anything. So I think I've learned a lot of very interesting ideas and strategies and, pro- and then learned about a lot of projects during this Blockchain for Science conference. Mm-hmm. So I, there, it's actually online and people can go and listen to all the talks that we've had over the two years somewhere on YouTube. Just Google that. I think there are so many um, very alternative and very futuristic ideas, mm-hmm. specifically also what blockchain actually enables, and maybe we can finish at that. Mm-hmm. So what you could do is you could create a marketplace for research. So mm-hmm. actually, you know, forget about this outdated workflow that we have now, but mm-hmm. allow one lab at the university to provide a service and the other one to provide a different service, and then you col- collaborate on a research project, mm-hmm. pay each other, whatever, in some kind of funny way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the benefit from it is that you have the best people on one piece of a research project and the best people on the other one. So mm-hmm. way, you, you change the collaboration that for now was sparked off by a researcher coming to another institution or writing an email saying, let's collaborate. Mm-hmm. You, you completely kind of sidetrack this mm-hmm. very slow process by providing a platform where people can just uh, collaborate just like that. Interesting. Or another one, um, not about the marketplace for research, not, but actually on selling mm-hmm. your, the shares of your research project. So mm-hmm. you could have with it, within the platform, and this is a date platform, you can have, you can tokenize your project, and then you have some mathematical formula that is uh, telling you, like the, setting the price, so to speak, of your project, based on um, the peer review, is it negative or positive, based on the citations you have to the mm-hmm. particular project. And then people can buy shares into your project. Mm-hmm. And what this means in practice is that, you know, and with that kind of, with that money and with this coin to- token, whatever that's on the market, you can fund uh, your next research project or a continuation of that. And what, but what, what would that token... Uh represent like this is it more like a, a, a badge like almost like a, a in a game i buy and i mm-hmm. can sort of claim uh that i was part of this or or does it have any economic or reputation well, so it, it has a it has a price now and then the price of it is mm-hmm. governed right by how well this research result is being uh, what kind of an impact it is how well is it perceived by the okay. scientific community it's it's a you see okay. a little bit of a of a brain, yeah, thing. But uh, okay, but I, I I love those kinds of ideas. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, this, yeah. this is what I hope we're gonna explore at Seed as well as something very unusual. But okay, so what for our listeners? When is Seed? How do people participate? What, what's sort of uh, what's the website? Like, give us the basic. Uh, <laughs> Wait, how, how do I get there? C2019.io. Okay. <laughs> you can get a ticket uh, to the to the symposium and think tank and then, uh, yeah, participate in the think tank and perhaps also in the incubator if your idea is going to be 
super good. Okay, and when and when and where mm-hmm. is it? Uh, so the the event is happening in Davos in Switzerland uh, on the t- between twenty fifth and twenty eighth of February. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that sounds like there's a lot of uh, exciting things happening. There's a lot more problems, uh, big to problems solved. to be solved, to be looked at. And it sounds like uh, uh, Davos uh, end of February is going to be the place to be to sort of think about these things with like-minded, uh, but at the same time, very different uh, people. And uh, I don't know. It sounds incredibly exciting. Uh, wish you best of luck. Thank and, you. And uh, yeah, well, uh, thanks for coming on the show, Alexander. Thank you. Bye.